The country waits for Manhattan prosecutor Alvin Bragg to announce charges against Donald Trump. When will they come and what will happen after that? Mental Health Day at the White House with Ted Lasso himself. The political reaction to it was varied. We'll discuss all of that and more. This is Majority 54. All right, Jason. Well, it is Tuesday and former President Donald Trump said on Saturday that he could be arrested this week and he pointed originally to today. It looks like the grand jury uh, in Manhattan is going to reconvene tomorrow on Wednesday. And that is the earliest I think we could see charges against Trump. Uh, and the charges uh, stem from payments that he made through Michael Cohen to Stormy Daniels, a porn star, during the 2016 presidential campaign. It's $130,000 that's at issue. And uh, this law in New York uh, essentially has to do with um, you know, falsifying records. And it's usually a misdemeanor, but I think what the prosecutor in New York may be trying to lay out the case for is that there's a, there's a felony version of this law, whereas if you falsify your business records to commit another crime, in this case it would be committing election fraud, because uh, Trump didn't disclose his payment that uh, the prosecutor, Alvin Bragg, is going to argue was meant to influence the election, meaning keep this Stormy Daniels story out of the uh, the press in the weeks and days leading up to the November 2016 election, that that's two crimes together that makes it a felony. That seems to be, based on the speculation, what Trump is going to be charged with, but we really won't know until tomorrow, the earliest. Before we even get into all this, just sometimes it's helpful to kind of go back in time and think about what we used to think about stuff like this. And <laughs> obviously, obviously, like a, a former president being on the eve of indictment is you know, unprecedented to say the least. But what I'm more interested in, Ravi, is if you put yourself back in the in the headspace that you were in, like, let's say 2019, right? When it was like the, the conventional wisdom, both on the right and the left in the middle, everywhere, every corner of American politics and culture was Donald Trump gets away with everything, right? Like he, he can mm -hmm. do, he, he does things that everybody else, uh, you know, doesn't do. Um, he gets away with them. I mean, every day of the Trump administration was, well, that's never happened before for good reason, because it's terrible. And there seemed to be no consequence of it ever. So my question is, do you, th during those years, and even like all the way through 2022, did this ever seem like a realistic thing to you that he would actually get in? I don't think it did to me ever. Not for this. Like, I think... Right. You know, I always thought for it would be some kind of major financial fraud. Uh, now, this is this under New York law is fraud if they prove it, which it seems like they think they can. But I thought it would have been like, you know, something on the order of uh, concealing major wire payments of millions, tens of millions of dollars, hundreds of millions of dollars for tax purposes, tax fraud, something like that, or something on the order of what's going on in Georgia, like his authoritarian uh, law breaking, you know, like in that case, you know, that, that seems to be, that's the case, you know, I don't want to give everything away here, but that's the case I'm most excited about in terms of like the one that I think has the, the, the greatest chances of both legal and political success because it involves an attempt to steal an election. You have Donald Trump on uh, a recording telling election officials to find a specific amount of votes. That one to me seems open and shut and it has to do with elections. This is not the one I would have predicted and certainly not the one I would predicted to come first. Yeah, for a period of time, I mean, it's almost it's almost erased from our memory now, but for a period of time, I thought it was going to have to do with Russia, right? Either the initial Russia stuff collusion or, you know, doing Russia's bidding um, it, when, with regards to, to Ukraine and trying to, uh, you know, use foreign relations to uh, basically impact American domestic policy in a way that goes way beyond politics or domestic politics in a way that goes way beyond politics uh, with all the, well, uh, you can get weapons if you'll announce an investigation stuff that he tried with Zelensky that didn't work. So uh, yeah, no, but then again, Al Capone didn't think he was going to go to jail for tax evasion. Right. right so, right. Um, and, and it, so it's fascinating to me uh, that at the end of the day, the first indictment is going to be about, a, but then again, 
is it could things ever go any differently right with, with trump isn't it gonna be something like paying off a porn star i mean like yeah because take his presidency out of it that's like his whole life yeah it's just well stuff okay like and that. by the way disclaimer listeners you're down in miami and you're in the kitchen so if people hear an echo i just want people to know that's where it's coming yeah, from not, a, not a permanent I, fixture of our audio but yeah, and actually, Ron DeSantis was asked about this. So we're going to go through some of these Republican reactions before we really get to the substance of this case. The Ron DeSantis was asked about Trump, and this is a huge moment in this primary campaign because Ron DeSantis had two choices, really. Really three, but two choices. Was he going to back up Trump and signal to the base that, hey, even though I'm going against this guy, I'm like one of you MAGA people who are loyal to each other, or would he throw Donald Trump under the bus Let's listen to this clip, and you tell me, Jason, which of the two you think he did. I wanted to know what your thoughts are on the rumored Trump indictment, and if you have any role in it, um, if charges are brought on him, will you have any role in extradition to New York? So I've seen rumors swirl. I have not seen any facts uh, yet, and so I don't know what's going to happen. But I do know this. The the Manhattan district attorney is a Soros-funded prosecutor, and so... He, like other Soros-funded prosecutors, they weaponize their office to impose a political agenda on society at the expense of the rule of law and public safety. He has downgraded over 50% of the felonies to misdemeanors. He says he doesn't want to even have jail time for the vast, vast majority of crimes. And what we've seen in Manhattan is we've seen the, sky, the, the crime rate go up and we've seen citizens become less safe. And so... You're talking about this situation with, and look, I don't know what goes into paying hush money to a porn star to, to secure silence over some type of alleged affair. I just, I can't speak to that. But what I can speak to is that if you have a prosecutor who is ignoring crimes happening every single day in his jurisdiction, and he chooses to go back many, many years ago uh, to try to use something about porn star hush money payments, you know, that's an example of pursuing a political agenda and weaponizing the office. And um, I think that that's fundamentally wrong. I love this so much because you can see him. There's it's a very specific needle that he wants. He to keeps repeating here. it. Porn star <laughs> yeah. hush money. Now, look, I'm not sure we should be going after this guy for porn star <laughs> hush money. It's like he just keeps repeating it over and over and over again. Yeah, because he wants to have both, right? Like on the one yeah. hand, he knows that there's an answer he has to give, right? He has to, you know, chime in to the chorus of Republicans who are saying two things. One, this is politically driven because, I mean, they have a whole committee they've created in the House to try and right. make people believe that any investigation of any Republican is a weaponization of law enforcement and of the government. Like, So he, he has a, a contractual obligation to the party to uh, parrot that idea. And then he also has to make sure that people who are at least like DeSantis curious, but but Trump committed are still with him. So he's got to say like, oh, you know, it's not fair. It was so long ago. But at the same time, he really wants when he gets into the heat of the primary and people have kind of, you know, maybe at that point, Trump is like, I don't know, been convicted. Who knows? He wants to be able to use this. Right. And so he can't be like, I think it's bogus. He can't be like, it's not a crime. He shouldn't be prosecuting him. He could just be like, nah, I'm really suspicious of this dude. And, you know, the Soros funded uh, prosecutors, that's bad. And also, I don't know if you heard, but uh, this involves hush money paid to a porn star. And I don't know anything about how that works. Like, yep. he, he even paused for laughter. <laughs> well, people are livid. You know, Donald Trump Jr. had a video, which I'll spare everybody, but it was. Uh, he basically went after DeSantis directly and really hard. Um, Matt Walsh, you know, the sort of right-wing commentator from Tennessee, tweeted, uh, not good, DeSantis should vow not to extradite Trump and promise to fight this malicious prosecution. It's the right thing to do, and it benefits him politically to be in a position where Trump is relying on him for help. So that's the theory in the Republican Party, is like, what's the better position? Uh, this person on Twitter helpfully pointed out that a governor... Um, this case does not views, uh, involve extradition. I just want to pat ourselves on the back, Jason, because I've been talking about interstate extradition all year. I've been waiting for this moment. This is our moment. 
I almost yeah. want to be like an interstate extradition expert, which is just not really a thing too much in this country, it seems. Well, I mean, it seems it's not really a thing in Florida because DeSantis yeah. is like, we don't know anything about that. That's not going to be a thing. We're not going to have to worry about that. Um, yeah, yeah they, they are. It, it is It is going to be continually funny to watch a bunch of people, whether it is DeSantis or anybody else, root for Trump to get in all the trouble he deserves to get in while pretending to be outraged that Trump is continually getting in trouble. Like, right. like this is terrible and totally They're all awesome. Like, they all yeah. like it, and then they want to blame liberals for this. Uh, mm-hmm. Here's So DeSantis had his strategy. Let's, let's go to Pence. This is what Pence had to say. Well, first let me say I'm, I'm taken aback at the idea of indicting a former president of the United States um, at, a, at a time when there's a crime wave in New York City that... The fact that the Manhattan DA thinks uh, that uh, indicting President Trump is his top priority, I think, is just tells you everything you need to know about the radical left. Now, let's look at another clip, because that was part one of his points. Let's look at his other. Let's look at another clip from Pence here. Just feels like a politically charged prosecution here. Uh, and I, for my part, I just feel like it's just not what the American people want to see. He does not like to say Trump's name. Have you noticed that? Mm-hmm. No. The former, he says, a, a former president. This is these people they re- retreat to generalities. It's not shouldn't be uh, prosecuting a former president, but he seems to be at least backing up Trump more. Like he's not the full forceful Don Trump Jr. You know, attack on on Bragg, but he's they're all using the same language. Source prosecutor. He's ignoring crime. By the way, I've been critical of Bragg, and we'll get to that on a lot of things. I was his advisor, um, and. He has mishandled certain things around crime in Manhattan, but crime is actually down. Uh, February, you know, our most recent crime data from this year is that it's down year over year. So things are actually he- heading in the right direction. It seems like like whatever decisions Bragg has made that people want to criticize, he's he's definitely tightening up that office and public safety in general in Manhattan is better than it was at the beginning of his term. Well, what's funny to me about that, Ravi, is that I did not know that. Uh, until I heard both DeSantis and Pence say that crime is up. And I'll be honest, I was like, I guess crime is down in New York City. Yeah. Like I, just, I, just, <laughs> yeah. I just assumed that that was the case. Now, there's a couple of things about this Pence clip that I really enjoy. One, anytime you hear a politician begin their answer to a question with, well, first, let me just say, what that means is, I have a thing that my team and I have agreed I'm allowed to say about this, and <laughs> I'm, I'm going to say that, and then Instead I'm going to- Instead of whatever to, you ask me. Yeah, yeah I'm going to make it seem like it's an answer to your question. It, it's not. And then when you ask me a follow-up, I'm going to say it again, but in a slightly different way, which is the two clips from Pence, right? The other <laughs> interesting thing about the, the Pence clip there is that, yeah, he is defending Trump slightly more forcefully without using his name. But I think there's a reason for that, which is that DeSantis, he has the luxury of very tepidly or timidly uh, coming to Trump's defense because nobody really expects him to. And he doesn't really own the Trump years the way Pence does. And that, by the way, gets to what is going to be so difficult about Pence's primary campaign, right? Which is Ultimately, if he's going to win, like if he's going to get into the final two with Trump or the final three with Trump and DeSantis, he's going to have to criticize Trump. But that's really hard to do when you were his vice president and you were Mm. an accessory to all of the badness that he did. Like when you're when you're the accomplice, you can't in an election just like turn. You can't just like take immunity and cooperate with the prosecutor in an election. You, You still own all that stuff. And so that's what I think is there is like Pence has to lean into it a little more. He has to defend Trump a little more because people are like, hey, man, you like road shotgun with this dude so if you come out hard against him people uh, we're just going to be like well where were you before so i i think that's that's the trouble that pence is having which i think is of course delicious republicans in congress have announced that they intend to investigate bragg uh our local congressman here in lower manhattan pointed out that bragg's office doesn't take any federal dollars according to our congressman so he was basically saying what's the jurisdiction of congress you know we don't need to get into that uh, this case is going to be hard, though, uh, and I'm really interested to see what Bragg comes out with in terms of evidence because uh, basically what Trump is going to say, if it's the charge that we think it is, 
is he's going to use the, the 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 excuse John Edwards made when they tried to bring federal charges against him. If you remember, John Edwards had a similar situation involving a mistress and money and all this kind of stuff. And the charge they couldn't convict him on the charges there, or at least the charge related to that, the the money and paying off the mistress and all that. Uh, the problem here for for Bragg that he's that he's trying to solve for, and why I think he was originally tepid about this case, is that Trump can always say this was an expense for my reputation, not for the campaign, right? So he could say like, look, how do you know that I was paying this off specifically because of the election? Now, what Bragg undoubtedly has is Michael Cohen on the record saying, Trump told me this was about the election, but New York uh, criminal procedure law says that a defendant cannot be convicted solely on the testimony of an accomplice, which in this case would be Cohen. So he's got to have other people. And Trump is famously somebody who doesn't email, doesn't write things down. And so I'm really curious to see what they've got. They must feel like they have something really strong. What that is, I'm not sure. Without getting too much into like the legal strategy of it, I, I guess the other difference with Edwards is you didn't, I don't think you had a Cohen type character in the Edwards thing, right? I mean, I know it, it flowed through somebody else, but I don't think that person They're like had donors, actually, I think. Yeah, I think they were yeah, like donors, but, but I don't know what like their involvement do was. They prison yeah. time for it, right? Yeah. I mean, like they weren't yeah. convicted of the, of the underlying crime. And then the other thing is, d- does... I'm not sure Bragg has to, does he have to fully uh, prove that Trump would have been in violation of that federal law as opposed to does he just have to prove that Trump was worried about being in violation of that federal law? Um, So anyway, there's that. Uh, The other thing that, you know, about this is we've got this this YouGov poll uh, that you pointed out uh, that which I think this goes to the last thing Pence said, by the way. So first with the YouGov poll is that shortly after the payment to Stormy Daniels became public in 2018, uh, a poll asked Americans without mentioning Trump whether it's a crime for a candidate to pay someone to remain silent about an issue that may affect the outcome of an election. Since then, the share of, the share of Americans who say it's a crime has risen 16 points to 72% from 56%. And nearly all of this is concentrated among Republicans. 73% now believe it's a crime, up 36 points from 37% in 2018. I mentioned that because the second thing that Pence said in his, you know, talking point that had been crafted to avoid having to talk about this is that uh, he says, I just feel like it's just not what the American people want to see. Actually, it turns out the American people are like, no, we think this is a crime. And, and, yeah. and especially now that they know exactly who it's about. So that is just not true. It's It's one of... Uh, of a few things that I think Republicans are saying about this that kind of makes me laugh. I have them ranked in a top two of the, the other things. Number one uh, is the, well, we'll start with number two, actually, which is uh, Elise Stefanik and, and several other Republicans, um, uh, their first reaction to this after Trump truthed it or whatever you call doing something on Truth Social is, hmm. uh, was they went as, as a sort of part of their playbook they went crazy about the leaks and they were like, it's so awful and, and, and outrageous that this would leak, that if they're going to arrest a former president, that, that this prosecutor would leak it, which is hilarious because the first that anybody ever heard about this was, was from, from Trump, Trump himself. himself yeah. <laughs> he was and, the leak. Yeah. Unbelievable. <laughs> well, let me, let me lay out the case for this in clear oh, terms. Wait, wait. It, Hey, oh, yeah. Hang on. Before you do that, I want to say what my my actual number one favorite thing about this, which is, and this has been like all over the right and honestly, some on the left, because we're just so all those years of Trump, like getting away with everything is the idea that this is going to help Trump help him. Yeah, it's yeah, my favorite, my favorite, because they're like, you know, this is just going to help him. OK, uh, no, 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 no. For a couple of reasons. One. There's no world in which getting indicted, I guess maybe with a, like a sliver of his base, I think his base is getting fatigued. I think like the Trump yep. people are like, man, I'm getting tired of defending all this stuff. Now I got to like, again, go back and, and re-defend this porn star thing. Yeah. <laughs> so there, that's the first part. But the second part is he might go to prison. Like if he yep. goes to prison, it was unhelpful by definition. I think, I think we'll see something, you know, like I, I, this is another one of the questions I have is we'll see what happens if it's tomorrow, who shows up in front of the courthouse, you know, what happens across the country, you know, Trump is called on his people to do something. So if they do something, then that says something. And if they don't do something, that says a whole lot as well. Uh, just to lay out the sort of 
the proximity of this to the election, which is Bragg's, I think, strongest card he's got here, is that on October 25th, 2016, this was two weeks before the election, Stormy Daniels' attorneys told Cohen that they were canceling this deal that they'd worked out to basically shelve this story. Uh, and essentially, you know, remember, this is an election that had 70,000 votes it was decided by. So uh, Cohen draws down $130,000 from a home equity credit line and transfers it to a shell company to pay Daniel's lawyer. Uh, so this is a lot of effort. There's a pseudonym, David Dennison, used to describe Trump. And in a separate agreement, they identify Dennison as Trump. A few days later, Trump wins the presidency. Uh, can I just say, can I just say, not even a good porn name. No, like he didn't even not pick a good, a good porn name. Uh, and then uh, Cohen submits fake invoices to the Trump organization. Uh, and Trump himself signs the checks. And so that's where... Uh, the the business fraud happens, and then when they fill out an FEC report and they list Cohen as receiving money for his legal services, because Trump is too cheap to just do this personally, I guess uh, they um, they that's the second fraud is they didn't indicate that this was a uh, campaign expense. They didn't. They didn't list it for what it actually was. They concealed it from the voters who are entitled to know that information. That's the theory for this. Now, I, I think longtime listeners know this. I helped Bragg get elected originally. I've been skeptical of a lot of the things he's done since, especially how he's handled this case. I had a chance to talk to him right after he was elected, uh, and. I'll play two clips for you guys. First, this is a clip where I asked him about why not just recuse yourself? Because he made statements in and around the election, uh, basically uh, calling out Trump and saying that he was going to go after Trump, essentially. Uh, and so I asked him about those comments. Say, hey, aren't these reasons to recuse yourself? This is what he said. Do you think it's right to potentially just recuse yourself and say, you know what? I've commented on the guy. I don't need to oversee. It's not like as a prosecutor, you'd be running the case anyway. Would it make some sense to just be like, you know what? I've commented on the man and that's enough for me to say, I trust the, the civil servants of this office and I can wall off this investigation just so that there's no sense that that I've prejudged this case. So look, I, I think this may very well be the most consequential case in the history of local prosecution. Um, and, you know, having just you know, going through a campaign where I didn't say I would do that. I think that that would be an abdication. And look, I can't rewrite history. Um, so, you know, when I was in the attorney general's office, we sued Donald Trump's administration more than a hundred times. And I stand by those cases. That was the context when I talked about lawlessness, yeah. um, because a lot of those cases were the administration simply not following like notice and comment like literally just changing the you know like the law and like not following any rules, um, and so I, I do think, and we put in our litigation papers that that was lawless. Uh, so I, I you know I, I think substantively that's correct. Um, a little bit different from sort of him the person. I mean that was his yeah. administration. Um, I did also you know lead the Trump Foundation investigation, which was more about you know his conduct. Um, you know, but I don't think prior. You know, we've got lots of people who have you know, been investigated more than once by a prosecutor. Um, and I don't I don't think that um, a prior investigation um, is calls for, you know, recusal. Yeah, I, I think like he's right about the prior investigation part of it, where I still take issue with it is that he made statements that were forward looking, saying we have to hold him accountable in the future. And Tish James, who's the attorney general of New York, made even uh, stronger comments. And, and what I've said previously on this podcast is imagine if the shoe was on the other foot, you know, where Hillary Clinton, who recently, whose campaign recently settled with the FEC for also using a lawyer as an intermediary for the Steele dossier and not properly disclosing it. Let's pretend like an Arkansas attorney general ran on the um, platform of locking up the Clintons and then brought a case against Clinton after that, you would expect them to recuse themselves. But it's even worse because the guy who is handling this case, Mark Pomerantz, who is in Bragg's office, has since written a book about how he thinks Trump is guilty. <laughs> so it's like, it goes even beyond that. Now, Bragg can't control that guy and Bragg called him out. But I think there's some unforced errors here. And I think if Bragg, who's an elected official who said some not nice things about Trump, I don't blame him. I, I, I think he was right to say not nice things about Trump. 
I think he and everybody else would be better off if he just handed this off to career prosecutors and could just say to everybody, look, you could say whatever you want about me, Soros-funded prosecutor, whatever. I handed this off to people who are career professionals. They exercise their independent judgment. I think we'd be better off if he had done that. It's interesting because that, so that's the first time I've heard that clip and you and I have talked about this a lot. And I, I do think he makes a good point when he's like, well, I didn't say during the campaign that I was going to do that. Right. Yeah. So, and that is, that is an important consideration, right? Because at the end of the day, he's thinking about the people who elected him. And it's not necessarily right. that he's saying like they wanted me to indict him, but he's saying, you know, that's not what I told people I was going to do. Yeah. Um, which I do think is but at I think least like, worth considering. It is It is worth considering. And, and listening back on him, I'm a little bit more charitable than I am Tish James, who said she was going to shine a light on everything. And we know a carnival of Barker when we see one and all these strong statements. But the problem is when Whitaker took over as acting attorney general on the Mueller case, I could be wrong about this, but he didn't exactly say, I'm going to shelve the Mueller investigation. He just criticized the Mueller investigation. And we all called on him, Schumer, everybody called on him to recuse himself. I think out of an abundance of caution, I would just do it. And his life would be a lot easier. Our, all of our lives would be a lot easier. And then we wouldn't be stuck with this inconvenient set of facts, which is that he originally, when he took office, said he didn't think there was a case, basically. That was what the leaks coming out of his office. And then was pressured by a lot of people, voters and people on Twitter. And then there's the appearance that he caved to the pressure. I don't know if that's actually what happened, but the appearance of that is obviously fodder for the right. But I think the more interesting part of this interview, Jason, was when I asked him, hey, like, what kind of standard are you bringing here? Is And is it a standard that you bring to anybody, not just Donald Trump? Let's listen to that clip. The one thing I would hope is that what comes out of this process is if there is an indictment, it's an indictment that anybody would have gotten and it, he doesn't get because he's Donald Trump. You know what I'm saying? Because I think like what his supporters come, look at it and say, he people are going after him because he's Trump. And I think, you know, Tish went further than you did in her campaign for attorney general in kind of prejudging the case and, and the man. And I think if, the, if you kind of flip the facts and you say, all right, if this were Hillary Clinton and this were the attorney general of Texas and, you know, and, and they were saying, you know, Hillary's crooked or like this, you know, like what we said about Whitaker when Whitaker took over the, the Mueller indictment and prejudged that case, we, people were calling him to recuse himself. So part of me is just like, all right, like I, I trust you heading into this. I, my, my big concern is like whatever comes out of this, uh, if it's an indictment, is an indictment that people look back on as be like, this is an indictment that any human being, whether they're a political person or not, because like the, as you know, I've done public prosecutions because you went after a lot of the Albany corruption, is that um, the standard is even higher sometimes when you're going after political people because, especially if people view that there's a political gain to going after somebody, you know, that the bar should be really high to say this is an airtight case, you know? And, and I would say, so, so, I think the standard you started with, which is would you do it with anyone else, is the standard. Yeah. Right. So you know, and and on the Trump Foundation matter, that was the question we we literally sat around a table, um, and we said, okay, let, let's you know, there's there's going to be nothing 100 percent analogous. You know, you're not going to have to say like, oh, let's look at what we do with the other former presidents, right? right? Like that, right? But like the the the, the underlying facts. We said, you know, I was overseeing that. So, you know, bring me, you know, so if you, you bring me the comps, yeah, bring me the comparables. And and then let's you know um, look at them and then ask the question: um, If this were someone else, would be doing this case? And the answer in the Trump Foundation was yes. This is what I'm looking at. Like when you talk about the biggest question that people are going to have when, if this indictment comes through, is going to be all right. Sh like, explain to us like what the analogous cases are. And you you got to believe, you know, based on what Bragg said there, he's prepared for this. He's got to be preparing for that mm -hmm. argument because, you know, I mentioned the Hillary case before. It's not the same. There's no porn star involved in all that kind of stuff. Um, but there's a there's an element of it that's similar. And so, you know, the right's going to bring that talking point. And so there's, there's the legal aspect of this. And then there's the communications aspect of this that are both really important. And so that's like this is probably number one on my list of things I'm going to be looking at tomorrow or whenever this thing goes down to be like, all right, explain to us like the precedent here on bringing charges like this. And and the challenge that Bragg is going to have is that Trump is a singular figure. It's really hard to talk about him in the context of anybody else. I'm trying to think of what I would do if I were in Bragg's position. And I think 
One of the th- big considerations for me would be the fact that, like you were saying, you know, they're going to make the claims it's a Soros-funded prosecutor, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. The thing is, let's imagine for a moment he recused himself at the beginning and then it still comes to this point where there's going to be an indictment. Yep. I just think most likely that you would still have almost the same, almost identical sound bites from DeSantis and Pence that we would play yep. on the show where they would just say the same things. And if that's the case, I'm just trying to like find my way to, to um, Bragg's logic. If that's the case, you might say, okay, if that's what they're going to say and that's what they're going to make half the country believe anyway, and I think I'm the best person to manage this, which is why I ran in the first place, well, then I want to make sure no mistakes are made and I want yeah. to stay involved. So that's the other way to think about it. Because um, I can remember like totally different, but in other political contexts, like when I was running for office against Republicans, I can remember at some point learning the lesson that, you know, they're going to say what they're going to say, no matter what my votes in the legislature are, no matter what my answer to certain policy questions are, they're still going to say the same stuff. So may as well just go do what I believe. And I wonder if that's where Bragg has has gotten yeah. to on this. Yeah, what's fascinating, you know, this is where only time will tell. Someday a book will be written about this. After that interview I just gave, that January, so that interview is in November, that January, Bragg's office, it was reported in New York Times, became uh, uncomfortable, this is the New York Times' words, became uncomfortable with the office's ability to show that Mr. Trump intended to break the law, a necessary element of proving the case. Uh, That's when the prosecutors resign, the guy who eventually writes the book. What I want to know is what's happened between then and now, because what the Trump people and the Republicans are going to say is that he just caved, right? So what I really want to know is like what what new information came, because it seems like Vance's office was also having some issues here. Federal prosecutors also declined to prosecute. And it's really hard to figure out why there's conflicting reasons given for that. So I think there's just like a really big series of questions. Mm-hmm. And that's fair. That's a That's yeah. a fair question for sure. Yeah. And like, look, like. Trump has broken some laws. Like, he's broken some laws here. He's most definitely them, broken some laws down in tell. Georgia. Yeah. Now- <laughs> Most most of the ones they got, he found a You way. know, <laughs> Axelrod got into some heat on Twitter for saying, you know, I kind of wish the Georgia case was first. And look, maybe mm. I'm inviting heat too. I, I wish the same. I just wish the Georgia case oh, was first. Oh, yeah, of course. Because it's it's about, it's much more about official conduct. I mean, it, it's it's about what happened while he was president. Yeah. So it's- it's it's inconvenient and that's and maybe Georgia will be first. Who the hell knows? Like maybe Georgia happens today. Like I have no idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we don't uh, really know. Yeah, I don't know maybe, enough about maybe what's that, going on down maybe, there. Maybe uh, that young woman, the jury four person, is on her way to Mar-a-Lago to make a citizen's arrest. I think that oh could God. be possible. She's yeah, you know, she she had quite a moment, and maybe it's going to continue. But I think like I think the bottom line here is we're going to learn a lot, and uh, you know, I think like I think in. There's a lot, there's just, there's a lot of uncertainty, I think, in this country right now around political violence generally. And I think the right has not shown themselves, you know, in the same interview with Pence, he he really, he had, he had an opportunity to denounce Trump's calls for like demonstrations and yada, 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 and he didn't. And so this is what I have my eye on. It's like, you know, a guy who now can get to Twitter, you know, he's, he's allowed back on these pro- platforms now. He can incite violence. You know, it could be happening right in my backyard here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's, it continues to be scary and will continue to be scary on this subject and others. Yeah. Well, Jason, let's take a break and hear from our sponsors when we come back. Uh, we'll talk about, uh, you know, some some more fun stuff than I think what we talked about here. We'll talk about Ted Lasso going to the White House. We'll talk about your boy Ben Shapiro and some bad takes he's had. And then we'll talk about uh, your home state senator, Josh Hawley, and how he may not be as popular as people think. All that and more when we come back. All right, everybody knows that Ravi and I have been talking about Athletic Greens for a long time, that both of us actually were, were using it prior to uh, them becoming a sponsor of Majority 54. Uh, but you know, it's one of our favorites, obviously. It's it's a partner of ours. It's a daily routine of ours. I'm currently in Miami right now. We're down here. My The Canders are down here to watch the World Baseball Classic semifinals and finals. And there's like a whole Ziploc bag, huge one, of uh, athletic greens because 
you know, we bring our travel packs, Diana and myself, but we're staying at my in-laws place and they came from Kansas City. And so they have like their own Ziploc bag full of, of AG1. So it's like a full AG1 family, extended family at this point. Uh, you know, I, I take it uh, in the morning. Uh, I think Ravi at this point takes it in the morning and then again in the afternoon. Um, it just makes me feel much better. It makes me feel good. The days when I forget to take it, which is rare, I, I can tell an enormous difference. So if you're looking for a simpler and cost-effective supplement routine, Athletic Greens is giving you a free year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. You go to athleticgreens.com slash majority. That's that's athleticgreens.com slash majority. I mean, honestly, if you've been listening to this show this long and you still haven't tried Athletic Greens, I mean, do you listen to us about anything? I hope you do. And if you're new to listening, then you, of all people, should be trying AG1. So give it a try. It's athleticgreens.com slash majority. Do you have anxious thoughts? Are you like restless at night? That thing where you wake up in the middle of the night and you're like having a lot of trouble going to sleep because your brain is going 500 miles an hour? Or do you just not feel like your best self maybe during the day? Making sure that we feel our best should be a top priority. And by spending a few minutes with Calm each day, you can be sure that you're taking the necessary time to prioritize yourself. Calm helps you stress less, sleep more, and live a happier, healthier life, which all of that is really the goal. That's what we're all trying to do every day. They have guided meditations, sleep stories, relaxing music tracks, and daily movement sessions that are all designed to give you the tools to improve the way that you feel. All of it, basically, makes you feel more calm. If you go to calm.com slash M54, you'll get a special offer of 40% off a Calm premium subscription and new content is added every week. So relax. Calm's got everything you need for a happier and healthier you. When I'm having trouble falling asleep, I pop on the Calm app and I fall asleep in no time. For listeners of the show, Calm is offering an exclusive offer of 40% off a Calm premium subscription at calm.com slash M54. That's C-A-L-M dot com slash M54. Go to C-A-L-M dot com slash M54 for 40% off unlimited access to Calm's entire library. That's calm.com slash M54. All right, Ravi, as you know, mental health is a subject that I care about uh, a great deal. And on top of that, one of the other subjects that I care about a great deal is the show Ted Lasso, both as a Kansas Cityan, as a friend of Jason Sudeikis, the creator and star of the show. And for our show, for anybody who's listening for a long time, people know that one of the many Im impressive predictions that we have made on this show is when before the first episode of season one of Ted Lasso ever dropped, we had Jason on to talk about it, and we had seen because we, you know, got the the advanced copy or whatever it is. We had seen the the full first season, uh, and we told everybody this show is going to like change the world. It's going to be amazing, and I think people are like, mm, okay, it's a show about a football coach who goes to Europe and becomes a soccer coach. Like it's a comedy. It's not going <laughs> to. But no, we were right because it's amazing. And now, just I texted Jason yesterday before this and said, man, if there's anything that's a, a testimonial of the cultural impact of this show, it's the fact that he was going to the White House with the cast of Ted Lasso to talk about mental health from the podium in the briefing room and then go to visit the Oval Office with the Bidens. Very cool. Let's hear a clip of, of Jason uh, at the White House yesterday. It is sincerely an honor to visit the White House and I have the opportunity to speak to the president and to the first lady about the importance of mental health. Um, so like, no matter who you are, no matter where you live, no matter uh, who you voted for, we all probably, I assume, we all know someone who has, uh, or have been that someone ourselves actually, that's struggled, that's felt isolated, that's felt anxious, that has felt alone. A little background for folks who haven't seen the show, you know, one of the main sort of story arcs in the show is the main character, Ted Lasso, Jason's character, and his sort of coming to, to grips with his own mental health issues. And more importantly, he's, you know, he's placed a kind of a, a standard middle American Kansas City guy who had never been to therapy, who has to come around to the idea of going to therapy. And then we see him go to therapy. Uh, and and so it really is something that I think has, has made a difference. So we can stop for a second and just appreciate that that's cool that they did that. That's uh, awesome. And yeah, I'm going to miss and, that show when it's off air. Yeah. Yeah. This is the last I, season. There's uh, what tomorrow is episode two of this season. And I'm personally, I'm waiting. I'm like letting a few accumulate in the queue. Cause I, I hate that thing where you finish an episode and then you're like, Oh, I can't believe I got to wait a week. You know, I'm yeah. spoiled now by, by that. Well, I so. thought you were going to say, you just don't want it to end. That's what I did with Friday. Oh, Night I, Lights. Don't. I actually spent years 
not like I had one episode left in season five, Friday Night Lights, and I spent years not watching the final episode because I didn't want to <laughs> have it out of my life. I wanted to just know there was one more episode left. But Jason, Ben Shapiro didn't love it. He He's tweeted out a couple of things. One was very serious people trademark. Now, I suspect that when Trump had people in the White House like Kanye West and Kim Kardashian, Ben Shapiro probably didn't have a whole lot to say about that. Yeah, well, we should say for people who don't see the visual, the visual there, he's he's sharing a, a photograph of Jason and a few other people from the cast, uh, and you know they are mostly in like Jason and and two of the others are in tennis shoes and uh, and jeans, and they're in the Oval Office, um, and like I, you know I saw this from Shapiro, and then other people were talking about uh, you know how you, how can you wear tennis shoes in the Oval Office. First of all, the dude is like literally saying the most serious people in a sarcastic way trying to say like, look, they're not serious. Okay, they are the cast of a comedy TV show. Jason Sudeikis came onto the scene because he was on Saturday Night Live. Yes, Ben, they are quite literally not the most serious people. That's, it's not like, you're not even being sarcastic. You're missing the point. Right. <laughs> Like, but it's also if, like, by the way, well, if Sadiq has showed up in a suit, he looks like a politician. That the whole idea also, is they're not politicians. It's also like there's also this presumption that like Biden is not serious. Like it's like oh he's like got all these issues going on, and why is he like talking with Ted Lasso? And, and other people were saying oh this was like a disgrace to the press room to have you know Trent Krim asking a fake question, whatever. I'm like this has been going on forever. You know I just watched a documentary where Reagan welcomed Bobby Knight, the coach of the Indiana University basketball team, uh, to, or Indiana, what do we call it? Is yeah, it you Indiana got it. University? The, yeah, uh, Indiana, yep. Yeah, I always forget my two Indianas. The, and, uh, the, and Reagan welcomed him, you know, Biden, I mean, Obama used to have tons of famous people in, Trump had tons of famous people in, but it, they were like randoms, you know? I mean, Kanye was obviously the most famous, but he was, you remember Kanye in the Oval Office? So it's like, this Kid, is the Kid thing. Rock. Kid Rock yeah. was in the Oval Office, looking all yeah, Kid Rockish. Yeah, this is the thing. I'm sure, pretty sure Kid Rock didn't wear a tuxedo. So stupid, well, stupid stuff. Also, like the whole idea of having pop culture figures to the White House has going back. For I mean, like Elvis came to the White House. The whole idea is to reach a different group of people. It's why I used to, when I was Secretary of State, I used to go on sports radio in Kansas City and St. Louis and talk about voting because like I knew I could go on, I could talk about sports and I could get people who may not vote all the time, but do listen to the radio to. And in order to do that, I talked sports and then I talked about voting. It's why Obama would go on all sorts of podcasts uh, to talk about Obamacare, but first he would just like give a regular interview, right? He did between two ferns <laughs> with Galifianakis. Right. Like that's, that's, it's just being creative. Now, and there is a reason that this does sort of make me a little bit optimistic, which brings us to if we can, I don't know if, do we have the other Ben Shapiro tweet, whether we do or not, I'll just tell you what he said. His first sentence was basically that the sentiment here is good, right? When Sudeikis is there talking about mental health. And then the rest of it, he goes on to say, oh, but we need to be told by Hollywood types and there's just a parade of Hollywood people coming into the White House. Here's why that actually makes me uh, feel optimistic and I think it's worth celebrating. All of these people's instinct, Shapiro, everybody else, is to criticize Biden and the left for everything, right? We know that's sort of what they see as their job. But the fact that Shapiro had to throw in that sort of uh, passing, giveaway, throwaway reference to the idea that the sentiment about mental health is good is, I think, a big victory, right? And then after that, he has to just like criticize the optics because he has to find something to criticize. But what he didn't do is what they have been doing for years. And really, in the very recent history, if you think about people like Simone Biles or John Fetterman, what he didn't do is say, none of this is real. Like, emotions aren't real. Like, toughen up. Like, they couldn't do that. Now, I think part of that is because Ted Lasso is a show that is rather universally loved um, by both sides of the aisle. But the other reason is because it is getting harder to criticize people for talking about mental health as part of regular health. And that, right. I think, is is a victory for all of us. And, uh, and you know, for me personally, I have a vested interest in that and I hope played a role in it. And so I'm excited about that, that Shapiro 
really couldn't go as hard as he wanted to go on this. Yeah, I mean, it's like they're like Scrooges. Like they basically, they just they they're heat seeking missiles for outrage. We talked about this. They just are. They cannot help themselves. They just have to find. And like, what's crazy is they just have no sense of their double standards. But let's end on a fun one. Uh, the Riverfront Times had an article about your home state senator Josh Hawley, uh, basically saying that he's not that popular. And the key data point that stands out here, and this is a poll from Change Research, is that 43% of voters view him unfavorably and 42% favorably. So he's a little bit underwater favorability-wise in the state of Missouri, which is surprising because it's uh, known as a fairly Republican state, Jason. Yeah. Well, I don't want to like bum everybody out to, uh, to end this and throw cold water on this, but I will tell you that when we got our polls back about Roy Blunt at the beginning of... Uh, the 2016 race, so in 2015, so the same thing. they were much worse for, for Roy Blunt. And I, I don't mind telling you, I think I ran a pretty good campaign and we almost yeah. won. Um, but so what I want, what I want us all to take, I'm not saying he can't be beat. I'm saying we should take this with a little bit of a either grain of salt or motivation to work very hard. Uh, and that I, I think it's like this. I think that there are a lot of people who are like, well, I'm a Republican, but like, look, I know Josh Hawley's a tool. But but the question is, how many of those people are going to vote for a Democrat because yeah. Josh Hawley's a tool? And that's the issue. With, now, if this were a gubernatorial race, we've talked about this before, where a gubernatorial race is different because people feel that a governor has responsibilities and things that they're supposed to do, right? And so they're, I think, more likely in a, in a role like that to vote uh, for somebody of a different party when they think that somebody is messing something up that could affect their life. But oftentimes at this point for, you know, House races, for Senate races, it's kind of a like a generic R versus D ballot pretty often. Now, that's not always the case and he can be beat. But I want us to somewhat measure our, you know, yippee about this, because at the end of the day, there are a lot of voters who are like, yeah, that guy is a tool. I wouldn't want him at my party. He's kind of ridiculous and embarrassing. But, you know, he, he goes ahead and votes you know, the way that I would want him to vote. Uh, so we'll see if people can, uh, can, you know, see things a little differently as we go on. Sorry. I meant to, well, end humbug a, a, to you. damn, damn yeah, you sorry. on that one. I, I, I live in the, I live in the state, man. I, I, I you, you know what? I care a lot about the people of Missouri. Clearly you don't Jason. I'm trying to give <laughs> them a pep talk here to get them excited. You know, like when we're not in football season, I'm their guy. Uh, okay. Right. Well, here, and so I'm me, trying me, to listen to Missouri. Don't listen I'll to what he just said. We were just talking about Ted Lasso. Do you think when Ted Lasso goes against whatever, I don't know the names of these teams, Manchester something, like some really important soccer team, you think he tells them, you know what, we have no chance in this match. That's not what Ted Lasso would say, Jason. So you want to give that another try? Yeah, here, I'll just give you a grab and oar on a different subject, which is uh, well, that's this not, past... That's not fun. It's kind of slightly different. This, uh, But not all the way different. Uh, this past week, uh, I had the incredible privilege of driving to Columbia, Missouri, right in the middle of the state uh, to introduce uh, one of my closest friends uh, to the crowd, uh, Stephen Weber, who's been a guest on this show uh, just a few months ago, actually. People uh, will, will remember Stephen from that. Anybody who's read my book, Invisible Storm, will be familiar with Stephen. He is running uh, for the state Senate in Boone County, Missouri. It, uh, I think he has a very good chance to win and flip a, uh, a red seat to a blue seat, which hasn't happened in our state in about 10 years. Uh, and it was really cool because we're what, over 18 months, about 18 months from the election. Uh, and the room was packed, man. I mean, like standing room only. Uh, it was it was really cool. And he gave one of the best political speeches I've ever seen in person in my life. Uh, so it was it was really cool. People uh, who are interested in supporting Stephen, you can go. I've tweeted about the race several times. I've got links to where you can donate. Um, but you also can just look up Stephen Weber uh, in Boone County, Missouri, uh, and uh, and throw him a contribution because it's a it's a great opportunity um, to flip uh, a red seat to a blue seat. Now, with that said, one for us, Ravi, what's going on? What's happening? Well, you're in, we're flipped, so I want to hear from you. You're in Miami. Uh, I'm just living my regular life here, you know, just in my apartment. <laughs> yeah, know. with your John Deere hat on, just a regular John, just, you know, I'm John about to take Deere the tractor out back later, you know, <laughs> yeah, with yeah. whatever people do with tractors. What do they do? They they, they till the soil? I don't know. Sure. They, they sure, cut yeah. things. They, they cut see, things well, with blades. This, yeah, it's well, we're, we're, we're kind of on the cusp between, um, you know, 
planting and harvesting. So I don't know what you would be doing in your tractor right now. But but yeah, uh, shining, you know, we've been shining down here it, waxing it. Going, yeah. <laughs> we've been going to World Baseball Classic games, which I got to say, in four years, when this happens again, or if they do it in two, because of COVID, pushed it back two years. Whenever they do it again. If you get a chance, anybody listening, I know I talked about this last week. You got to go to this. We went last night, uh, True and I went to the Mexico-Japan game, and it was the craziest crowd I've ever seen. People were waving flags all over the place. Uh, it was an amazing game. Uh, and uh, anyway, I just it's a really special experience, and it has helped me see that I, I want to do more of this where we we say, hey, you know what? That's a cool thing. We should go to it. And we want to do that as a family more, which you're very good at for yourself. Like, hey, I want to take my whole family with that. me everywhere I go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You, you, yeah. You, you take, which maybe would be your plants. I'm not sure. But yeah. Uh, but anyway, my it's plants something survive. more of. But no, I, I think that's great. When Bella gets older, too, it'll just get easier, obviously. So mm-hmm, that would be yeah. cool, you know, where you can, yeah. you know, you could fly probably much easier. But, you know, Missouri, you're in a good spot to, to just make it. It reminds me of Nashville. You know, you can get to a lot of places without even having to fly if you don't want to. Because I know flying with a young child could be tough. I know Miami, you got to fly. but Well, especially know. now. We got a brand new airport. It's the first time I've flown out of it. Felt really uptown. It's very cool. Very well, cool. I'm glad because I had... I had previously loved your airport because it reminds me of like a big chance that the, you know, one of the big turning points in my life was getting the Truman mm-hmm. scholarship. And I, I always think about that airport when I think about that moment, just like so nice. But then I had to remember going and waiting in that airport after the chiefs game. And so I'm glad that I can erase both of those memories together go. and start over again. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just think about visiting you the next time I come through, but okay. Yeah. Nothing going on here. I'm just getting ready for this indictment man just uh yeah well i hope you beat the rap no yeah yeah (laughs) i know i shouldn't piss i shouldn't piss off bragg because now like no i just mean like it sounds like he'll come after me now like your Uh, indictment i'm getting ready i know i I got Uh, you know i i squandered my one chance to commit a crime and get away with it after getting my district attorney elected in manhattan i I shouldn't (laughs) criticize him so i take everything back that i said bragg 100 percent behind you well, right. the good news is now you've not only criticized him, but you've suggested he would have let you off for committing a crime. So yeah, yeah. I think I'm sure really Mega Universe will love that sound bite. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. Well, uh, everybody, remember to subscribe to Majority 54 wherever you listen to audio podcasts. You just search Majority 54. Please leave a five-star review. Let us know how we're doing. I know a lot of you said, hey, I would love for you to bring Grab an Ore back. I hope you've noticed that we have. Uh, thank you to the Midas Mighty. And remember, we all have a platform. Make sure to use yours today.